So tonight, we are moving into the, uh, the second week of the systematics. Oh, I'm Zach McNabb. I am a, uh, I'd say very new member to Gulf Coast. Um, very new, loving it here. Um, have have uh, found a place with you guys. I'm, I'm excited to have this opportunity um, that we can move through this together. I think this systematics um, course meeting class is, is awesome um, because it allows us to uh, discuss the fundamentals of where we go with everything else. So um, thank you for letting me be a part of this and inviting me to, um, to lead this particular uh, section. And what, we are, what we're doing is who is God? So the fundamentals of theology. And what I'd, what I'd like to do, maybe a little different, is start with application. And our application is going to be that the right response to getting to know God more is always going to be adoration. It's always going to be worship. The more we know of God, the more we will adore what that is if we're seeing the truth. So what I would like to do here, here's my thought. We'll go through a, a few of these sections and at each section we'll pause and we'll take a reading from Psalms and I would love to do that together just so we could take a little break, worship together just for a second. And what I'd also like to do is for that to whet our appetite because these things we'll see in a minute, we can never really find the bottom of, but these things will will stay in your mind, and they'll circle around. And so in those, in those moments where you come to say, oh, God is this, and that's awesome, I want you to have something that you can hold on to and say, ah, I can say this again. I can worship in this way again. And that way, just have a moment of, of, of clarity, of new inspiration to, to worship. Um, and so that, that's really my, my hope. Um, if you came and you don't learn a single thing, then that's my failure. But if you come and you appreciate and experience who God is more and that stays with you to, to inspire you to worship a little more, then total success. We can all go home happy. Um, so that's, that's kind of my thought. That's where we're going to go. Um, and first, I'd like to start with God. Oh, I'm sorry, y'all. Did you grab a handout? So what I've what I've done here, we've got five different sections tonight. We're going to move through them. There's not really anything to follow along with, but there are some scripture references, and they are by no means exhaustive. But if you would like to read those passages, and in particular, read them in context when you have time, and consider those things in context of what we talk about here, I think it'll be really enlightening, um, be a good experience for um, a quiet time, devotional kind of thing. It'll at least give you, you know, if I want to see more about this, where are a couple of places I can go? Um, again, nowhere close to exhaustive, um, but at least a decent starting point. So we're going to start first with God is incomprehensible. Um, so there's a sense of incomprehensibility that word, especially how we use it now, that means unintelligible or confusing or gibberish. 
That is specifically not what we mean by God is incomprehensible. Instead, what we mean when we say that is God can never fully be grasped. You can't grab on to the depths of what God is. The, the entirety of his being is simply unfathomable. The, the fundamental issue is that we, as created, are finite. And God is infinite. And we cannot take our finite being, our finite minds, and contain God who is infinite. So our God is higher than his created things, and he is limitless where we are limited. So our God is much greater than the ends of our imagination can struggle to reach. That by no means means quit struggling to reach it, because there's great satisfaction in the struggle to reach those depths. But we must admit that we will never get there, and that in itself is a wonderful and awe-inspiring thing because what God, who you could totally comprehend and understand and contain, what God like that is worthy of your worship? That is not our God. Our God is bigger than that, much, much bigger than we could ever describe or imagine. He's infinite. And this is our first point of celebration together tonight. Peter, if you'll go, let's read this together. Hey, read it. Read it like you mean it. All right, let's do this. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. It's unsearchable. On the other hand, we've got to be really careful that even though God cannot be fully comprehended, that we don't keep going to say that he cannot be known at all. So this very serious, very harmful error, you may have heard of agnosticism, A, no, gnosis, knowledge, agnostic, basically says we can't know anything of God. We can't know about him. There's no point in trying. And that, the word clearly says, is a serious, serious error. The reality is that what we can know of God is rational, intelligible, sensible. It's not confusing. It's not gibberish. There are things that have been clearly communicated to us. We can know God meaningfully and sufficiently because of his revelation of himself. And everybody think back. We're going to lean on everything that Peter established last week in Revelation. There's a revelation generally through creation, but that's not enough to save us. But then there's special, specific revelation through Jesus Christ, through the Word, through the Holy Spirit, where he can bring us into knowledge, a relationship with him. This is how we can know God. And ultimately, knowing God in that way depends upon his own work. So Christ, the word who took on flesh, that we may know him. The spirit of God working in us unto understanding. These are the ways God works this knowledge of him in us. 
So, and, and this is on your sheet under um, God is knowable. But sometime later, take, take the time. We, we're not going to take the time right now. But John 1, 14 through 18, John 17, 1 through 3, and 1 Corinthians 2 specifically talks about the way that Jesus came to make God known. And, and the, uh, the John 17 passage is his high priestly prayer. Um, and there's, there's some ex- specific and exciting things that Jesus says himself. Um, and, and John, the way he introduces Jesus in the first chapter, um, that shows how he came to make God known to his creation. And then the first Corinthians package unpacks um, the way the, the spirit works in us to do that. So take time later to, uh, to read through those specifically because there's really exciting stuff um, there. So with that, let's celebrate this portion, Psalm 100, 1 through 3. Let's read this together. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God delights in revealing himself to his people, that he can be known even in our limited way. He delights in our adoration of what we can know of him and how we can know him. Let's move to the next passage, the the nature of God. It's really loose. I'm calling it the nature of God before we move into some things that are more attributes. But the word shows us, and it does not specifically say the word itself. But we're going to say God is Trinity. There's one God, three persons, described in the word as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the truth of the triune God is evident across Scripture, even though the word Trinity is something that was applied later to describe the reality of it. There are references for you um, under that section. And the reality of the Trinity is that the three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are co-equal, co-eternal, and consubstantial. And those words we mean equal in all aspects, equal in glory, equally eternal. There's never been one person that has not existed when another person did. And consubstantial, made of the same stuff. God is completely unified and individual, yet the three persons of the Godhead are not blended. There's no quality that's not equally shared by the three persons of God. But I don't even like the word shared because that implies a division. And there's no division. It's not like we have 100%. We're each going to split at 33.3%. There's 100% of God and all the qualities of God in the 100% of God, which happens to contain three persons who are all divine and undivided and not blended. And what do you do with it? And so... 
I think first, you have to understand, accept, and maybe even appreciate that there is mystery there. And you're not going, this is one of the things, you're not going to see the end of this and resolve it here. And you really got to be careful to guard your heart, guard your thoughts on all sides. Because I, I would guess, perhaps I'm wrong, but I would guess that there's nobody here that would specifically ascribe to what we would call an unorthodox view of the, of the Trinity. That's my, my guess. But, and, and I don't want to put anything on you that, that uh, you know, I feel myself, maybe you don't, but I find that at least functionally in thought or in speech, the way I approach certain things, that it's really easy to get off the rails on these big concepts that are, that are difficult to resolve. Um, and, and so I want to point out two to be particularly aware of. There's tons and tons. Um, but, but modalism is not correct. That, that's the idea that there is one God and he acts or exists in three modes at different times. So you ever heard the ice water vapor thing? Until you can show me one water, I don't, there's no unit on that, one water that's ice, water, and vapor all at the same time, equally and individually, divisibly, then that, that, uh, <laughs> that example is, is, not a, is not a good one. Um, the fact is that God is not the Father sometimes, and the Son some other times, and the Spirit this time, and then back to the Son. That's, he is equally and always, eternally God in three in one. The other thing that we've got to be careful about, or at least I have to be careful about, is then slipping in kind of the other way to tritheism. That is, functionally, there's kind of three gods. Yeah, they're, they're God, but there's kind of three gods. So there's this God the Father, distinct completely from God the Son and, and God the Holy Spirit. And I, I think that one is um, tempting, particularly um, if, you're, if you're reading or discussing things, it's tempting to fall into, well, Jesus did this, Jesus did that, and, and think of it in terms of that without also um, kind of having the mindset that there is a unified God. He is acting in all of creation, in all of history, equally in all three persons, um, unified yet individual, indivisible. And so now we're just going to go all the way back to the start, to God is incomprehensible. I'm, I'm just joking. I would not do that to you. <laughs> uh, but there is mystery, as I said, and we're confronted with our inability to contain the infinite. And I think there's also opportunity for extreme delight in faith at, at God's greatness, trying to wrap your mind around the truth of this. So don't want to discourage you. Fight that fight. You're going to lose, but fight it. It's a great fight. God becomes bigger in your perception. God becomes more wonderful in your perception. Probe the depths of what you can find. It, there is wonderful, wonderful revelation there. Our God is great. And then also God is spirit. 
John, 20, uh, John 4, 24, Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And w- what we mean is that with respect to our physicality, with respect to the physicality of his creation, God is immaterial. He, he's imperceptible with our natural biological senses. Um, he can't be seen. Uh, he can't be heard. He can't be smelled, touched by mortal man, by creation. Um, now, I, I think you've got to interject unless he wants to be. <laughs> and then he quite clearly can. Um, we've got plenty of uh, of burning bushes and this ground is holy and take off your sandals and speech. And we've got plenty of Jacob wrestling with the angel of God. And we've got uh, plenty. We've got books and books and, and 33 years of God become us. And then we've got uh, all kinds of activity through Acts and the rest of the book, the, the amazing um, activity of the Holy Spirit in the growing of the early church. Clearly, God is perceptible, um, particularly to his people, but he directs this. At his essence, he is spirit, and that is something other. It's something ontologically different. It exists as something that is different from how we exist. But also be careful because he's not a spirit. He is spirit. There's no indefinite article there. He's not a force or a power. What What he is is spirit, but he's also personal. So he's got personality. He's got intellect, emotion, will. He is not impersonal, uh, an ethereal vapor, but what he is, is spirit. So since we've been so instructed, let's go to Psalm 29, 1 and 2, and read this together, hopefully in spirit and truth. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. That's good, right? If we sit around and just ascribe to the Lord his glory, how satisfying. So let's, let's talk about some of the, the attributes of God. And before we really kick into gear, separated these and organized them into incommunicable and communicable attributes. And, and by that, we mean there are attributes that God displays that in his greatness, we can never share in. And we'll, we'll get to some of those. And, and the communicable ones would be the other way, the ones that where we can reflect in some way his glory um, because he has made us to do that. But don't get hung up on the organization. Um, there's a, a lot of uh, far more intelligent people than me that disagree about which 
attribute goes in which bracket and some that throw the whole organization out altogether. The organization's the, the tool itself is not biblical. It's just a fine way to talk about some of these. And the, the other kind of uh, disclaimer is we're not even going to get close, particularly incommunicable. We're not even going to get close to, uh, to all of them. Um, but as far as a, a, a start on discussing some of these, um, let's start with incommunicable. So in God's indescribable greatness... He displays attributes that can be ascribed to God alone. So these are the ones that we do not share in. And I'm going to start with the one that's going to mess up our organizational structure from the beginning. And this is the one we don't share in. God is holy. So God is someone uniquely other. So we just got at it with what he's made of. God is spirit. Um, but his quality of holiness makes him transcendentally separate from anything that he has created. So he is higher. He is different in a special way, but above. And when we, so uh, there's a sense too, when we say something is holy in kind of common vernacular, we can mean um, morally pure. And God is holy, absolutely contains morally pure. He absolutely is, and that is a sense of what we mean when we say that, but that's not all we mean. He is holy in a sense that brings attention to his entire being. Everything about him, including his moral perfection, is holy. So his love is holy love, and his mercy is holy mercy, and his will is holy will. We're going to come back to holiness incommunicable, so hang on to that, but also hang on to that idea of his love being holy love and his will being holy will because that's going to be a a common theme as we move through some of these others. Um, So second, we want to say God is independent Um, and that the theologians call it aseity, ah, from, say, self, his from selfness. God is uncaused and uncreated. He has no need of anything to sustain him outside of himself. Uh, my, one of my favorite worship songs starts, you stand eternal, the uncreated one who has no end. And I don't know why, the first time I heard it, it's like, oh, I don't know why that, that phrasing strikes me um, as as, as, and it affects me so much, but the uncreated one. Think about that. God is the uncreated one. There is nothing that happened to make God God. He, he is. Paul says it like this. So this is from Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, 
since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul says God needs nothing from you. You need everything from God. You're not here to add to anything that God has or needs or wants. Everything is is his blessing upon us. God says it like this. I am that I am. This is absolute existence. God is. Everything else is derivative of God is. That's mind-blowing. If it is, it is because God is. He just is. God is self-sufficient and has no need for anything. So we, we can't, through our devotion or service, and indeed all of his creation can't provide God any need that he has, any gain, profit, anything he doesn't already possess. And so my question right there is, why then does he call us to, to relationship, to worship, to service, to sacrifice? If God needs nothing from us, why does he still call us? And I think the answer to that is because it delights him. God delights in his people. How, how exciting is that? That God would deign to delight in his people. Not because he needs anything. The gods of the old world, this is why the God of, of the Hebrews, this is why the God that called Moses was different than everybody else. The gods of the old world needed the people to bring their sacrifices into the temple. They needed the blood. They needed, our God needs nothing. Our God provides So it's very similar. What kind of king would come and die for his people? It's what you were saying this morning. What kind of king would come and die for his people? No, the people, the subjects, die for the king, not ours. What kind of God needs nothing from his people? Our our God comes and gives. Our God comes and provides. Our God comes and reveals Moving on, we're going to get to our psalm in a second. Keep holding this. Keep holding this stuff. God is immutable. What we mean is unchanging in the sense that God is complete in his perfection. Perfect, unlimited perfection. He can't change because he cannot become better or worse. He cannot become more or less perfectly God. This is another thing, and, and all of these, we'll get to a main, a main point in a minute, but, but this is another one that you can say God's love is immutable, holy love. And his mercy is immutable, perfectly holy mercy. I hope you're seeing a, a pattern here we're going to get to in a second. God is eternal with no beginning or no end. 
There was never and will never be a moment where God is not God. There has never been a not God, and there never will be. And importantly, I want to say that the way we think of God, God is not old. He, he instead is transcendent also of time. So just the way he transcends space, he transcends time. It's just a construct of his creation. And I think I can caution, um, maybe again, maybe I'm, I'm preaching for myself, but I think I can caution against, there are some things that we think of as, as perfectly natural, like the laws of physics, for example, that I think the temptation is to make God subject Two things like laws of physics, like how long has God been around forever? Years and years and years that way. Well, there was, a, there was a time that way where there was no time, and yet God is. God is transcendent of time. God created physical laws, space, time, to govern his creation, and they are subject to him, but he is above. He's not limited in or by dimensionality. And, and that kind of goes along, ushers us into this next point. God is infinite. And so we, we've got the omnis. Let's cruise through the omnis. God's omniscient. So God's knowledge, wisdom, vision, unlimited. Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So likewise, God is omnipresent, present everywhere. God is unbound by space or time. Psalm 139 says, uh, kind of poetically, it says it like this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, sh- where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. God is omnipotent unlimited in his ability to accomplish everything he wills. We're also not going to hit sovereignty, but I think sovereignty would slide right there. God is, God is uh, right and just in accomplishing his will. Um, but the omnipotent God, God is unlimited in his ability. The Lord speaks to the prophet Jeremiah this way. He says, behold, I am the Lord. The God of all flesh is anything too hard for me. And the answer understood there is no. Let's go to Psalm 93. We're going to read the whole thing, but it's real short. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. Your throne is established from of old. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up. O Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. So in his immeasurable grace and for his glory, 
God has given regenerate man the capacity to reflect in creation some measure of certain attributes of his own character. And this is what we call communicable aspects, communicable attributes of God. But be mindful that where God's perfections are complete and infinite, our ability to reflect some of his attributes are limited and imperfect. Similarly, where we are often divided, and I I told you we would come to this, here's where we're going to hit it, where we are often divided, so in some time where you could be extremely loving and caring, and then at other times you could righteously and justifiably be wrathful for wrong, usually those happen at times for us. God is always and consistently complete and unified. God doesn't act sometimes in mercy and sometimes in justice. He always acts in his perfect, immutable, holy, merciful justice and just mercy. Likewise, God's love and his wrath for sin are not divisible from one another in his character, nor are they at odds in his perfection. We cannot attain that kind of thing. So even in the communicable attributes, there's incommunicability. And the one we already talked about, holiness, is where we're going to start. We already said holiness was in the incommunicable group. And yet, 1 Peter, I believe Leviticus, says, As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, and here's where he's quoting, you shall be holy for I am holy. We can't be holy as God is holy, but there's a sense of called outness. There's a sense of separation. There's a sense of God imparting his holiness on us as his people through Christ that we can reflect where we are separate from what would be the world in 1 Peter. And in that regard, the redeemed can be holy as he is holy. And then what about the the fruits of the Spirit? I think that's a great list to start because those are specifically what the Spirit of God is going to work in the redeemed. So we can talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All those would be, by definition, communicable attributes of God, right? We already mentioned justice and mercy. What What about grace? Can you show unmerited favor for somebody who doesn't deserve it? But you show them grace, of course. Wisdom, true wisdom is from above. Forgiveness, so have you ever covered a wrong at your own expense? Personality, will, creativity, um, charity. What about Ones that can, we can really twist. What about jealousy? Is jealousy ever righteous? I, th- I think that 
if I were to be totally not jealous of my wife, I might be doing my wife a disservice, right? (laughs) So maybe there's righteous jealousy where it's really uh, subject to our sin nature twisting something like that, but there's a piece of it that we can exude. Any, any others? Any other idea? I mean, there's tons and tons and tons. Anybody got a good one? Yeah. Righteous. Yeah. Righteous anger. Absolutely. But also in gentleness and self-control. <laughs> it's one that we're able to, to twist. Let's, um, let's go to the last one here. The last one, too. Psalm 25. Make me know, make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Make me to know your ways. I think there's opportunity for us, the receivers of such grace, to worship by reflecting these attributes to others. All right. We have a few more minutes. Is there anything that, uh, any questions? Anything like you'd like to discuss further? Not sure I can answer them, but we'll give it the old college try. Yeah. So in, in your preparation, um, this is obviously subjective, but mm-hmm. as you were going through these kind of five sections, did any of them leave out as you're preparing, meditating on this, of like the church really needs this area? We're hurting in hmm. this area. So it was a good spot. Think about that. I um I I think that we have rightly um, focused and, and worshipped on what Christ has accomplished for us and our new relatability um, to God. But I think if I and, and we as a body, not necessarily this, but just kind of in general, kind of rediscovered a a sense of um, the unknowableness, the unsearchableness, the unattainableness of God, that it makes that knowable piece more valuable. Um, I feel like, and perhaps this is just, this is just me, but, but I don't think so. I, I think maybe we 
spend so much time celebrating what we're now been welcomed into that we've forgotten the distance that God had to lower himself to to come get us. Um, and that's what captures my imagination is the things that we've never thought to ask or put a name on. There are those things. They're, they're there. We just don't know them yet. God is greater than we could ever begin to imagine. And one day we'll see him face to face. Um, yeah, that's, that's where it would go. All right. if, if we can assume that nothing God does is ever accidental or arbitrary, mm-hmm. um, what do you think some of the purpose of his mysteriousness might serve for us as created beings? I don't know if it is. So God obviously had a purpose in creating us with the capacity that that he did. Um, I don't think that God ever intended um, to create an equal. And unless he created an equal, First of all, a created would never be an equal, but unless he was somehow able to do that, there could never be a created thing that could contain the creator. I don't know if it's a function of uh, purposeful, I'm going to keep these things, although the Bible does say the hidden things are for the Lord. Perhaps it's his pleasure to do that. <laughs> but, but I think there is also a limitation in just the nature of the created, there are going to, by definition, be pieces that the creation can never grasp. Um, I don't know. Does that seem like a cop out? That's a that's a good question, but I think you're 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 thinking bigger than I'm able to. <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's only a mystery to us because we have a finite capacity. He's infinite. It's like I always think about how can you even think about if there was no beginning and no end, what was before? But there wasn't because there was. You know, it's like these things that we cannot grasp. Yeah. Anything else? I think that's a good place to leave it.
reflect as much of that as possible. Thank you all so much.